Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. How far would you go to not only clear your good name and reputation, but also save the world from an utter Armageddon? That's the big question we're asking today. Today's episode of the Second Print Comics Podcast. I am your host, uh, the lovable Remso Martinez. It has been so long since I was able to intro a show, but it wouldn't be normal if we didn't go ahead and bring on Mark. You won't like me when I'm angry, Claire. Mark, how is life? You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. You would like Remzo when he's lovable, but there's no alliteration in lovable Remzo. That's that's not as it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. I mean, it's accurate, of course, but. I'm taking in all the sympathy messages and stuff I've been getting since I've been on the men. So I'd like to think I'm a, you know, I'm less bristle. I'm less rugged. I'm a little bit more cuddly for fans and listeners is typical. You know, I'm all I'm all about I'm all about the feels right now. You really got to hold on to the sympathy stuff because, you know, in a couple of weeks from now, nobody's going to ever remember that you had the couve. Nobody's going to remember ever. that you battled through uh, pneumonia to bring us podcasts. Uh, they're going to forget about this in a couple of weeks. So take advantage of it while you can. Might as well, might as well get that guilt trip downloads. But one way to make sure we don't forget <laughs> is to leave us a five-star rating and a great review on Apple Podcasts. That is the number one easiest, cheapest, freest, it is free, way to help this show. Those algorithms are all controlled by the tech giant known as Apple, so we have to play the game. So the more reviews, five-star reviews, and great comments we get over there on Apple, the more that this show will get in those fanboy earbuds out there. So that's one way to help us, my friends. Absolutely. One way to to make Remzo's fight for life through COVID to bring you comic book talk, make it all worth it. I did this for you, you bastards. I do want to go ahead and read off a recent review that was left on Apple Podcasts. This one really touched my heart. Uh, It's labeled Breath of Fresh Air. This was a five-star review put on last Wednesday from someone named J-Dog McGee. Probably not their real name, but it's a real review. After a year of being bombarded with poisonous pandemics, perilous problems, apocalyptic prophecies, and preposterous postulations from pedantic politicians. This guy's a real Shakespeare. I have been forced to abandon all my current podcasts and seek refuge in something a bit more lighthearted to keep my peace of mind. Through my searches, I have hit many dead ends, but Second Print Comics is a true gem. Mark and Remso bring a nice blend of humor, banter, and knowledge of comics that I really enjoy. I recommend to all. That's heartwarming. I, you can't see it because this is an audio podcast, but uh, there are there are tears streaming down my face. Literal waterfalls of tears. That's beautiful. And you guys won't like me when I'm angry, but you're not going to see me angry. How could I possibly be angry with a review starting the the show off with a review like that? That's awesome stuff. Absolutely. I mean, we haven't even hit our first year. 
we're still within the 12 month window of can they survive? We put out 10 episodes, then we were like, okay, we're in it. We're in it to win it. Now we're into 2021, about to hit that one year mark come this summer. And uh, it has been such an amazing opportunity. And I also want to give a shout out to Eric Linden, who became our first inaugural member of the Kirby Club, which Boom. means if you join the Kirby Club on Patreon, you can not only get all the previous perks for all the other tiers, but he gets to produce an episode every three months. That basically means that Eric is on staff now, essentially. Exactly. And I, yeah, the, the kind of staff where you pay to be on it, but staff, staff, staff nonetheless. And uh, just it's like Carol out- Baskin Zoo. As I told, uh, you know, I, I told my our comic book origin story way back in our episode zero. Highly recommend going back and listening to that if you're new to the show. Uh, but uh, I did reference someone who got me into comics on that episode. That actually was Eric, who we're talking about right now. So uh, it's really come full circle. He's the one that got me back and in, in, got me into comics originally, uh, way, 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 way back, uh, looking 30 years or so ago. Eek, aging myself just a tad. Uh, I've been reading comics for longer than you've been alive. How does that make you feel, Remzo? How does it make me feel? Get us that ARP endorsement. Any day now. Any day now. I'm waiting for that that letter in the mail saying I finally qualified for ARP. But you get a dollar off your meal at IHOP. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to have Eric as not just a listener of the show, but as now as our our inaugural inaugural Kirby Club. Inaugural. It's a hard word to say. It is. Well, pedantic was hard to say. I had to I had to read that a couple times to get pedantic. As always, we are here primarily to teach you to read, so it's going well. This is a good episode for that. I like the pictures. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this is a big, big moment for me, because as I mentioned a few episodes ago, The Death of Superman was my first graphic novel. But when it came to a story that really pulled me into DC Comics, other than the death of, other than the death of Superman, it was the story that we're going to go ahead and jump into today. And it, it's not just another Superman story. This is a Superman and Batman story. This is, in fact, the first self-titled Superman Batman series to ever come out. And for a lot of readers, you think, oh, well, you know, you've got like two, three different Superman titles. You've got like a million different Batman titles. When this came out, this was really the first time where you saw two marquee superheroes headlining the same ongoing book. That's right, folks. We're covering Superman, Batman, Volume 1, Public Enemies. Um, A lot of you know this from the animated film that came out in the early 2000s. But for me, this is the book that showed me DC can actually be gritty and fun and lighthearted and freaking badass all at the same time. Mark, what, what has been your exposure when it came to um, this, this title specifically? Uh, you telling me to read it for this episode. That was my exposure to this title. Good enough. Before the show. Yes. Yeah. So basically um, DC had been struggling in the early 2000s. They had a few different crisis events, but when it came to the Superman books, uh, Superman and Action Comics, um, those were basically keeping it alive, but they weren't bringing in as much as they used to. And same goes for Batman. Batman, um, around the time that this book came out, is, uh, you know, he's he's fresh off the trail of uh, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight. Um, the Superman film, Superman Returns, had also 
brought back some interest in Superman as a character. So they basically thought, you know, it's been decades since we actually had a World's Finest comic. World's Finest was a series that went on for about 30 years that featured Superman and Batman. But the stories, they they were really oriented towards children. It was them, you know, saving cats from trees and telling kids not to do drugs. When this came out, people thought it was kind of going to be like that. But what you get from this story is that what happens in this title, much like any other title coming from DC, is going to directly impact the DC universe. And to just start off, I mean, let's look at the creative team. We've got Jeff. To start off, I have a question then, because because reading this entire book, I by the end of it, I still wasn't sure. Is this in continuity? At least at the time. Okay, because then I missed a whole chunk of DC Comics and watch it, which we know I did because I had a dark period of comics. I was so take. I actually spent most of the time thinking this was an Elseworlds tale because Lex Luthor was president, and I had never known that was a thing that happened. So that happened. That happened. <laughs> okay. They they talk about it. It's weird, but you know we've had Stranger Things as presidents. We have indeed <laughs> in in real life. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so no, this this basically takes place in a world where the um, I think it takes place after definitely Crisis on Infinite Earths, because what you have is you have a JSA appear, you have a new Justice League appearing. Lex Luthor, uh, through the pages of Action Comics, had actually won the presidency as an independent candidate, and he's really trying to go hard that's for— the, That's the part I can't believe. I can believe Lex Luthor could become president, but as an independent— Come on. We all know you can't beat this two party system. He would definitely be a Republican. Let's be honest. Eh, I, I I think I think Lex will do whatever Lex needs to do to win. But his big policy point is trying to keep the superhumans under control. He blames them for all the, you know, the collateral damage that happens. He blames them for bringing, uh, you know, otherworldly threats to Earth. He's basically telling people, listen, you might like these heroes, but they're causing more problems than they're probably worth. But back to the creative team, it's got one of my favorite writers of all time, Jeff Loeb, The Long Halloween, uh, uh, Onslaught Reborn, a whole ton of others, Hulk. And then we've got Ed McGinnis, who's probably, I don't know where he is right now, but he was probably one of my favorite Marvel writers, I'm sorry, Marvel artists growing up as a kid. His Hulk run was freaking insanity. It was that good. So to have both of them together on this book, um, you know, you're definitely packing a punch, much like what we saw with um, the the Invincible Iron Man episode a few weeks ago, where you got um, Warren Ellis and... uh, Avi, I can't pronounce his last name, but if you're going to if you're going to try and resuscitate some characters, if you're going to try and put them into this big world where a lot of crazy shit's about to happen, you might as well pull out some big guns. What, what do you think of the team? Uh, I like the team. I'm a big fan of Je- Jeff Loeb. Um, man, I'm a Guinness. I will say, while I can't call him any kind of bad artist at all. Uh, in fact, a lot of the art in this book is good, but it's not my style. I, I, it's not what I, it's, it's a little too cartoony for me. I mean, we'll get to this more in, in the, uh, in the review section. Although I'm a little confused now because this is a big book that I got. And I'm wondering if I read more than we are, were you more than you intended to talk about in this, because I read a really long book that also included half of it being drawn by Michael Turner. So are we, are we not going as far we as are, I went? So I think you got, I think you got the, the deluxe edition, I've got the thin little paperback copy. Okay, this is why I kept asking you, are you sure this is the whole thing? Because I kept going and going. I'm like, how are we going to all do this in one episode? So, Mark, okay, was I it in have... English at least? 
It was in English, yeah. <laughs> okay. We have to make sure with you. So we're good, yeah. Um, Never yeah, I, I, I've been a fan of a, lo- a lot of Jeff Loeb's work over the years. So, um, yeah, I guess the, the most confusing part for me was just I, I spent pretty much this entire book thinking it was out of continuity, especially because of the second half that I guess we're not even going to get to. But the way they introduced re- or reintroduced Supergirl there seemed completely outside of continuity. And th- this whole thing threw me off. Oh, yeah, you were totally you were totally into volume two at that point. That, that's a whole other thing right now. But just understand that the story we're reading today takes place before Infinite Crisis. So I will say, especially for the people who understand the language I'm speaking, Volume 1, pre-Infinite Crisis. Volume 2, post-Infinite Crisis. Oh, okay. Well, that's confusing, but also explains some things. Yeah. it's uh, Here's the thing about DC that I will credit Marvel for. Marvel is really good about showing you where the timelines align and what stuff is going on when other stories are coming out. DC has always been like, figure it out yourself, especially if right. you were reading Death Metal, where you're basically like, what? What what is what's gonna stick? What isn't? Is has this happened? Has this taken place before or after this? I have no clue. Everything matters. And nothing matters. Yeah. Because everything Basically matters. That. And to make everything matter, nothing has to matter. That's the way I see it anyway. That's my summary of Death Metal, personally. But nothing matters. Anyway, let's go ahead and hop to it, friends. We're looking at Superman Batman, Volume One, Public Enemies. The story starts back in the quaint little Smallville, Kansas, home of America's own Clark Kent, aka Superman, as a kid playing baseball in the nice little Kansas fields with his friends. And at this point, uh, they, you know, one of them hits the ball so freaking far. They're like, man, is it even worth going to get? But they do go ahead and in search of it. As they come across the road, however, uh, across from the field, they see this really nice, swanky car. And apparently, you know, they, they've had a flat tire or something. They look through the window and they happen to see a boy who happens to be Bruce Wayne. And as the kids are looking at this car, which they've probably never seen in person in their life, uh, Clark is wondering, hey, you know, maybe we should go ahead and invite the kid to play baseball with us. But the others are like, eh, look at him. He looks like he's never played anything because Bruce looks so sad and everything because his parents happen to have been killed. So they go on and they're going to go hang out with, you know, little Lana Lane and go about their day while Bruce is brooding in his car. And what we basically can tell is that this is unofficially the first time that Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne will ever meet each other. And as we flash forward to the future, we see them as grown adults. We see Superman as super and mighty as possible. We see Batman, who's just, you know, the brooding dark knight he is. And uh, then we get back to the to the rest of the story. So this is basically to go ahead and intro us. And if you're reading the public enemies trade back, that is this one was, uh, you know, published at the same time as the film. So the pages might be a little bit different in case you're trying to read along. But basically what we're seeing is the combined origins as both Batman and Superman are narrating this story. Um, it starts with, you know, little Clark in the in the cradle was Jor-El and his mother are about to go ahead and shoot him off into the cosmos to hopefully make it to Earth as Krypton is about to blow up. We see Bruce Wayne holding the hands of his parents as they're leaving the Gotham Theater to go home. And then we get to the real scary part where 
Clark is launched into space alone as a baby, not knowing when or where he's going to arrive. And then we get to see, um, you know, the worst part of Batman's life where Joe Chill pulls out a gun, robs and murders both of his parents. So what they're basically trying to show or is it Joe Chill? Uh, we we don't even we don't even know at this point. Let's just roll with it. Roll with it. And uh, what this is basically showing is that, you know, there are some big, big comparisons, but there are also some big differences between Batman and Superman. As Superman is narrating his origin, it comes off as a story as an orphan who provides hope to the world, whereas Batman is an orphan who, you know, he contributes fear to the world. So as similar as they are, there are these big differences that really make the stark contrast. And I think that's what's always made Superman and Batman a great team. And the story continues to basically show that, you know, they are men who are molded by their past. Um, Superman wants to go ahead and do what his parents taught him. Um, uh, you know, mom, pa, Kent back in Kansas. He says, my parents taught me a side of justice. I came from another planet with powers and abilities beyond those of other men. I'm known as a hero an inspiration, a champion. It's been a good life. And then we see Batman, you know, lurking and standing underneath the giant bat signal from Gotham PD. And he says, my parents killer was never brought to justice. I cloak myself in the very shadows that gunmen used to hide his face from me. I'm known as an urban myth, a frightening creature, the boogeyman. It is not a life I wish on anyone. And uh, that that's where that section kind of closes off. So if you knew nothing about Batman, Superman, you kind of have an idea now. Uh, Mark, we're a few pages in, but what was your impression of, of this area? Because I think a lot of people try and imagine the contrast and imagine the comparisons, but Loeb is kind of laying it on thick. They could be, you know, the bestest of friends, but at the same time, they have completely different outlooks on their role in the world and life, essentially. I really like the contrast. I really like the dual narratives and, uh, Considering this book and the, the storylines that they're trying to weave through here, everything that comes forward in this book is all about like every storyline that comes through is really about the different ways that Superman looks at things versus the ways that Batman looks at things and almost how they are a yin yang together. You know, whereas maybe, you know, in one instance, uh, Batman might be a little more skeptical about someone. We're actually not going to even get to this part because I read a much bigger edition of this book. <laughs> um, but uh, whereas Superman kind of was more hopeful and more uh, optimistic and that's that's something i think we always see throughout like like you know batman has the sort of grim uh quote-unquote realistic attitude towards things is always skeptical is always looking further whereas superman has more of that sort of optimism about him and that that weaves through everything that they're dealing with and uh, i think that the, the dual narratives really help to pave the way for that Absolutely. I mean, I think the best team up stories are the ones where you have two very different characters and they bring out really the, the best parts of each other because Batman keeps Superman grounded in many ways and Superman keeps Batman from going too far into the darkness that, you know, fills so much of his life. Indeed. So now we're back to Metropolis, bright and sunny and optimistic, truly the city of the future. And Superman is responding to an attack on Star Labs. And as he uh, you know, jumps into this crater, well, as he flies into this crater in the ceiling of Star Labs, he gets punched out. And, you know, if it's if Superman's getting punched out, if he's getting knocked across the city, you know, 
busting into other buildings. Something's going on. And he just so happens to fly, to, um, you know, get tossed past a giant screen where Lex Luthor's talking about running for re-election. As I mentioned earlier, Lex Luthor ran for president on a campaign of dealing with superhumans. So, you know, this is trying to set the stage for us. But Superman gets knocked into a into a giant. Um, what, what are those things called? I don't, I don't know words. It's a giant antenna. Cell tower. He yeah. He gets knocked into a cell, cell tower, tower <laughs> and it's about to fall down. A bunch of people are screaming. They're freaking out. You know, not a good, not a good day in Metropolis. But luckily, um, Superman's able to go ahead and pick it up, look around, and he's able to tell that the person who's attacking Star Labs is Metallo. Metallo is a former LexCorp employee who got turned into a cyborg and has a kryptonite heart that powers him. Uh, we all know what he's doing. He doesn't explain outright. But Superman starts blasting lasers at him because Metallo is a cyborg. He doesn't have to hold back. He doesn't have to really worry about killing him. And they just absolutely beat the shit out of each other. And what I love is uh, when Superman punches Metallo's face, it really kind of takes half of it off. So he looks like the Terminator. It's really cool because he tried to go in in disguise. And now he just looks like a half human, half robot freak. And at this point, it's a real just slug match. They're just beating the shit out of each other. And at this point, um, you know, Metallo is on the losing end of it. He can't take on Superman forever. So he pulls out his kryptonite heart and he blasts him with it. He can actually project lasers with it, which is pretty great. Um, Luckily, though, somebody knows that they can go ahead and help turn the tide. Batman figures out that something's going on and he gets over to Metropolis. So Metallo blasts Superman with his kryptonite heart and is able to escape. And we have no clue where he is at this point though. Uh, Superman knows that if he's going to go ahead and find Metallo, he should probably go ahead and get the world's greatest detective involved. So the next page takes us to Gotham Cemetery. What we see is that Batman is in a situation that we wouldn't often find him in. He's in an unmarked grave. Who is he looking for? We don't necessarily know right now. But uh, Batman turns around and he sees Superman there and he's like, you know, you could have called. And Superman just replies in his ever so charming way. It was faster to fly. And uh, at this point, he's a little freaked out. He's like, you know, Batman, what's what's going on right now? Um, I'm I'm working, basically. And he helps him out of the grave and he says, listen, you're looking for a man. Uh, the, the man you're looking for is John Corbin. And Batman's like Metallo. And he goes ahead and basically explains, listen, in order to find him, you have to understand he's got an alloy body. And right now, from what I'm able to gather from uh, Star Labs, that his body's actually breaking down. So they're hoping that they can go ahead and find a way to um, trace that alloy metal in order to find uh, Metallo and figure out what's going on. Except the problem is Metallo has already found them. He's in the Gotham Cemetery and he begins attacking Superman and Batman. At this point, he's picking up, uh, you know, gravestones and caskets and he's tossing them at him and he's trying to, you know, basically uh, kill them. And we, we all know why. Metallo's usually not this rogue. He usually has a plan. He's not somebody who just goes around attacking everyone. And as he's, um, you know, fighting them, he is able to go ahead and transform parts of his body, kind of like the liquid Terminator. He turns his hand into a revolver, except the thing is this revolver has a kryptonite bullet in it, 
which he shoots immediately at Superman's chest. And if you know anything about Kryptonite and Superman, it's not really going to work out. So Metallo gets his shot. But what Batman realizes is the gun looks a little bit familiar. It happens to be the same model revolver that Joe Chill happened to kill his parents with. So what's happening right now is uh, Superman has fallen backwards into an open grave. Batman jumps in and instead of doing anything else like, you know, trying to kill Batman, what Metallo does is he actually <laughs> begins to bury them alive. So Batman is looking at um, uh, he, he's looking at the wounds, trying to see if there was an exit wound. Luckily, the kryptonite bullet is only a few inches in, but it's getting kind of hard now because now Metallo is turning his right arm into a bulldozer and he's just throwing mounds and mounds and mounds of dirt on them. He's burying them Metallo alive. I Metallo was so cool. Metallo also, I, I always called him Metallo in my mind, but you're probably right. Metallo sounds better. I had to Google that. Thank you, YouTube, for fixing my pronunciation. So basically, yeah, I, I didn't know he could turn. Has this always been a power of his that he can change all his stuff into like T2 style into whatever he wants? It's more recent. When he first started out, he was more, you know, traditional robot more than man. And now they're really trying to make him more of the like the liquid Terminator type. So as of right now, we think that, you know, Superman is dying because of the kryptonite bullet in his chest and that Batman has succumbed to being buried alive. Uh, Mark, from the last couple pages, just a giant slugfest. What, what are your thoughts on that fight? Uh, it's fun to watch. I'll, I'll say that it was, and I I got to learn a newfound respect for Metallo that I never had before. Metallo, Metallo. I can't. Why can't I say this name? We'll first. figure it out together. Uh, but yeah, I did like. I did like the. This whole story really goes to show the true friendship between Batman and Superman. And I did like that as soon as Superman got shot, they really showed how concerned uh, Batman was and how his first instinct was not even just go after Metallo. His first instinct was, oh, I have to go protect Superman, which is ironic because Superman's this super powered alien and Batman's just a human. But here you have this human Batman diving into this grave, decided to try to save his friend Superman. And it really just adds to the humanity of this friendship. Uh, even if Clark isn't a human per se, this is a very human relationship. Absolutely. So we, we move on to the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. We see President Lex Luthor there talking with Amanda Waller. If you know anything about Amanda Waller, she's the head of the Suicide Squad. Now I think she's the Secretary of Defense. And what they see on this giant screen is a giant crypt kryptonite meteor the size of Brazil heading towards Earth. And they're trying to figure out. What do they do about this thing? You'd think that President Lex Luthor, one of the smartest men in the DC universe, is able to uh, take care of it. And at this point, what we see is Captain Adam right behind him. He says, you know, maybe we should go ahead and inform Superman immediately. To which Luther replies, let me be perfectly clear. Everything said in this room is highly classified. We have a worldwide panic on our hands if this gets out of control. And it is not going to get out. The federal government will handle this. Given the countless times Superman has saved us all, isn't it time we return the favor? So it almost seems like Lex Luthor's being genuine about this. But if we know anything about Lex Luthor, everything that he says to try and get you on his side is usually hidden by his ulterior motives. And we see um, uh, Captain Adam. We see a few other characters who make up the federal government's sanctioned um uh, Justice League, we see Major Force, who's actually 
Um, he has the same powers as Captain Adam, but he's a villain. He's kind of a psychopath. This is why I initially thought this was Elseworlds because I was like, "Oh, why are these? Why are all these guys working for Luther? This is really what's happening here. Like, and this is not. This is actual continuity. I was totally surprised by all this. They've been drafted. I mean, let's look at them. You've got this is definitely in a, a big dark DC dark period for me because I, I had no idea any of this happened. I mean, let's see. We've got uh, Starfire. We've got Katana. We've got Black Lightning. We've got John Stewart Green Lantern. And Power Girl there. So these are, you know, what we're looking at are pretty, pretty patriotic, pretty loyal people who if the president of the United States calls them in, if there were any heroes that would be willing to do stuff for President Lex Luthor, it's probably going to be them. They probably don't love it, but they love their country more than they hate Lex Luthor. And that's kind of where we're at. Was this a legitimate election? Did he rig it or did he legitimately win the the vote? Uh, they, They make it they make it seem like he actually won. Interesting stuff. All right. Yeah. So we're back to the Gotham Cemetery. Uh, Batman knows the location of where the specific grave is that they've been buried in. And he knows if he plants a, a C4 charge underneath Superman, the blast will be able to go through enough level of soil that they will fall into the Gotham City sewer. Why? Because comics. Because comics, my friends. <laughs> so he goes ahead and does that. They fall straight first into the Gotham City sewer. Uh, Batman is struggling to get around because he's just a human. And he also has to carry Superman, who's dying from kryptonite poisoning from the kryptonite bullet. So um, they're moving far, far down the sewer. And eventually what they do is is they um, they come across this giant electrified high-voltage fence. And what they need to do is they need to get through that to get to the Batcave, which connects to the sewers and everything else, because Batman is that well-connected. So um, Superman, you know, still dying, still not to full strength. He knows what he has to do. So he goes ahead and he pulls out that fence and you can actually see him struggling and Superman struggling from little stuff like this. You could tell that that kryptonite bullet is really sinking its way in. And um, at this point, this is what ends part two. I know in the actual single issues, it's a few pages back, but this is where uh, part one ends and part two begins. Actually, my bad. So, Mark, from the first issue, what, what are your impressions of where we're at right now? Yeah, my my ish, my trade is totally totally different than yours, but what, but the story is fine. It's just the just the way they break it up is totally different as we saw. Because like that first part that you mentioned in the beginning, actually, too, uh, the part where like Clark and Bruce meet as kids is way at the end of my entire trade. Uh, so it's really interesting how the different layouts uh, are, are are put out there in different formats. You know, I actually had uh, two different copies of this specific trade back. The first one was from 2005. This one came out in 2009. Uh, the first one I lost when I moved here, and I do remember that when I picked this up and I was expecting to read it the same, I thought they had just changed the cover to match the DVD cover for the MA and film, but they had actually changed the page layouts. So it's just one of those things where depending on what version you pick up, depending on uh, when it's published and how it's published, they can sometimes play fast and loose with how they're going to split things up and what stuff is going to make it. Much like the Death of Superman episode, where at the end of each issue in my trade back, they cut out the words from the continuation bubbles. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I, I am enjoying the. I, what I like most about this is I really just like how Batman is helping Clark, like is helping Superman. You know, someone who again should just be the super powered, and he is a super powered hero who has way more physical power than Batman. Uh, but he has been taken down to almost 
human levels or really even almost below human levels uh, by getting shot by this kryptonite bullets. So now you really have to see Batman just caring for Clark, literally carrying him through this through the sewers. I just I just love that that the kind of the way that's that, that relationship has been flipped. Whereas in this case now, Bruce is actually the physically more powerful one of the two. Absolutely. So we, we get back to the sewers after Superman has pulled out that electrified fence and he's not looking good. His, his uniform is shit. He looks physically sick. Batman comes over and he's like, Clark. And Superman responds with that jokey sense of humor. It 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 tickles uh, quickly. They both look up and they see a man pointing a shotgun at them. At this point, anybody can outpower these two dudes. They're both basically at death's door. But luckily, it's none other than Alfred Pennyworth, Bruce Hello, Wayne's Alfred. trusted butler. Um, you know, he, he walks out a little bit more. He's able to identify them. And Alfred's like, Master Bruce, to which Batman replies, your surgical skills are required. And then Bat- <laughs> and then Superman looking around, he's like, I, I love how Batman is always business. It's like, it's never like, Alfred, great to see you. Just who we'd love to run into. Nope, no, nope. Your surgical skills are required. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is what makes Superman's next line so much funnier. He's like, your butler guards the cave with a shotgun. <laughs> it's just those moments where it's like Superman is able to pull out the ridiculousness from Batman, because let's be honest, as awesome and as cool as Batman is, there are some things about Batman that are just sometimes a little bit corny and Superman's able to pull that out of him. Yeah, indeed. So at this point, um, they go ahead and they, they get back to the cave and Alfred gets to work. Meanwhile, back at the Pentagon, we see that the the giant kryptonite meteor has already passed Saturn. And what what the government has done is they've launched these missiles to go ahead and take it down, kind of like Armageddon. Uh, unless it's been a while since I've seen Armageddon where they try and first break it up into a bunch of smaller meteors. So that way the impact isn't as bad. And, uh, you know, now we're back onto the floor of the war room where Captain Adam is like, Mr. President, permission to speak freely, sir. And Lex Luthor replies, Captain Adam, a portion of the planet Krypton is on collision course with Earth. What do you uh, do you think that whatever it is uh, can wait until those nuclear missiles have eliminated the threat to which Captain Adam's like, with all due respect, sir? No. And he's like, that was a boom tube. A technology which is not only illegal it represents trade with an embargoed and he in lex luther cuts him off and he's like don't take that sanctimonious tone with me captain how else are we going to get that firepower across the solar system in time to save the world so basically it shows that the only person with boom tube technology is dark side which basically means at some point during his presidency lex luther has done business and trade with dark side he literally made an arms deal with uh the multi not multi but uh I guess you'd say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sub-universal. It, it, this, this planet, Apocalypse, lives outside of like regular universes. So he actually made a multi-universal arms deal as president, apparently. Yeah. So the the missiles hit. So basically what he what, – the reason why – yeah, why he brings up the boom tube is he needed the missiles to get there in time. So what he did was he shot the, the missiles through a boom tube portal – to get to where the missile to get to where the the meteor currently was to hit it so that way it was far enough away so that way none of the you know uh none of the shards of it would make it to earth uh back to it the missiles hit and everything looks fine lex luther is smiling 
Then they go ahead and see on camera that the missiles have basically done nothing. So his big plan of just blowing up the rock into a bunch of little rocks hasn't worked at all. It didn't even scratch the kryptonite meteor. Yeah, not so much. No. So we're back to the Batcave. Alfred has gone ahead and actually surgically removed the kryptonite bullet from uh, Superman's chest. And he's he's getting back with a with a, you know, his health and everything. He stands up. You can see him. You can actually see that he had to patch him up and there's blood. I think there's one of the few times other than death of Superman where you actually see Superman bleed. So to see that that kryptonite bullet had actually done that much damage to him earlier when we saw his strength and everything faltering. But the fact that made him bleed really shows that he could have really seriously died. Um, and Alfred, as always, he's he's just absolutely awesome. He happens to have a spare Superman costume lying around. And um, he he asks, uh, I took the liberty of washing your uniform. The Gotham City sewer is the best left under the streets, to which Superman replies. I'm sure my wife will appreciate that more than anyone. He's talking about Lois. Um, I, I really think that in terms of writing Superman and Batman dialogue, Jeff Loeb is just the master at it. Like he really understands these two characters. So even though he's writing them all at once it ne- in an ensemble book, it never feels like any of them are merging. They are always distinctly themselves. Yeah, they, they definitely, he is definitely able to keep the distinct voices of each of these characters. And often in kind of team books, at some point, the dialogue, you could almost interchange it between different members of the teams. Uh, it's just they're just trying to move a story along and it doesn't almost, almost doesn't matter who says what. That's definitely not the case here with the Superman Batman team up. Like their voices are their voices and Jeff Loeb definitely, like, definitely nails them for both. Yeah. Um, Batman goes back to his giant bat computer and he's pulling up files. He's trying to figure out what was really happening with Metallo. As we mentioned earlier, Metallo was dying. His metal alloy was, uh, you know, basically deteriorating. And as he hacks into the Star Lab computers, he finds a whole bunch of information, a whole bunch of stuff that apparently Superman at some point earlier, I think one of the action comics uh, arcs learns that, you know, Metallo was at one point a petty thief in Gotham who may or may not have been the person who killed Bruce Wayne's parents. And what pisses Bruce Wayne off at this point is that a whole bunch of the files were encrypted. So he had to go ahead and get Oracle, a.k.a. Barbara Gordon, to jump in. So as Superman comes over, uh, Batman is like, how could you not tell me? And Superman's like, I tried. And in his inner monologue, he's like, you know, he knows he knows what's going on. Batman replies, it took Oracle less than five minutes to get through the Star Labs firewall. Another two minutes to download Cor- John Corbin's encrypted file. Less than half that to break the code and tell me what I needed to know. So Batman is pissed. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen them just yell at Superman like this. And, uh, you know, Superman's like, I don't know if the information is accurate. It could have been left there for you to find to, you know, stir up exactly the reaction that's brought about. Someone would have no someone would have to know Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same person. And then, you know, Batman just screams even louder. He's like, that's for me to find out. So even Superman is able to deduce all of this is a bit too coincidental. So that was really his reasoning for holding it back. And Batman replies, fact, before John Corbin became a tallow, he was a petty thief. Fact. He, he kind of sounds like like Dwight Schrute from The Office at this point. Fact. He, he was in Gotham City the night my parents were killed. Fact. He carried the same caliber handgun as their murderer. And, you know. Right now, it's just it's just a yelling match at this point. Um, 
then one of the strangest things happen. You see, like, the freaking Terminator, this giant little portal time thing kind of shoot up from the ground. And what do we see? We see old man, abs- you know, kingdom come, absolute justice, gray-haired Superman just pop up. Like freaking Arnold Schwarzenegger, except he's not naked. And they both look around and they're just like, what the hell? And, you know, old man Superman's like, oh, it worked. Then he sees Batman and young Superman. And he's like, that means I still have time to kill you. So this is not a good day for them. They both got their asses kicked by Metallo. <laughs> a lot for one day. Yeah. Then then another Superman pops up. And, uh, you know, this is this is just wild shit. What, what was your impression? Uh, what? What's going on? And I what's what's interesting is that everything that's happening, like reading this a second time or going through it a second time with you now, is actually even more crazy to me because so much of this book was like was crazy to me that I again it made me assume that it was an Elseworlds tale. Like, I, but I guess because I never knew that Luther was president. This is definitely in my complete dark period from from comics and particularly from DC comics. So this just felt crazier, and now it feels crazier realizing no, this really is all in continuity. So yeah, I took this more as like the um the superman from like infinite crisis like the other superman you know the older superman uh but either way it's an older superman appearing and and no matter what to see superman want to try to kill young superman and batman it's a little bit shocking to see superman want to kill anybody it's shocking yeah and at this point superman is x-raying him he's like is it a robot is it a clone like who is this and what he's basically able to tell is his physiology Shows that he's he's actually Superman. I love how like the two Supermans are fighting each other, and 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 Batman's just there on his computer, just like, all right, let me analyze. Is this really? The, yeah, it looks like. Yep, it's all adding up. Like he's just calmly on his little little Batman weird floaty keyboard. S- such Batman, so much Batman. Very Batman. Yeah. Just just very Batman. Um, and, and I do like the the page where it's just them moving at super speed, beating the shit out of each other. And basically, uh, his motivation for going back in time is to kill his younger self before something terrible happens. What is that terrible thing? We don't know. We don't know if it's linked to Luther, the meteor, if it's something else entirely. It's just not a good day to be Superman. And it seems like he's losing. So at this point, you know, we see Superman. He's he's like bleeding out of his mouth he's you know he's destroying the bat cave and stuff and at this point um you know uh as young superman is down old superman quickly moves over to batman he's like you never learned bruce you only wore the ring when you came to metropolis not here not in the safety of the cave not now and what he's talking about is uh batman's kryptonite ring which he's trying to find at this point uh you know he he tosses Batman aside. Both of them are really freaking out. And what he does is old man Superman goes over to the old Adam West Batmobile. He picks it up and he's like, you should have killed me when you had the chance, but that will never happen now. I'm taking away the only choice you'll um, the, the one you'll ultimately fail to make. Luckily, though. What uh, Superman does right before old man Superman is about to crush Batman with the Adam West Batmobile. He loads the kryptonite bullet into a shotgun and shoots old man Superman in the chest. As soon as he does that, uh, you'd think that it would kill him. But what it does is that as it hits him, old man Superman just disappears. So it's like, what the hell is happening? He just vanishes into thin air. He's like, ah. I'm out of time. Only hope. Don't make same mistake. Bruce, let's beware. 
and then the Adam West Batmobile just falls down and crashes. That is one of the most like odd fights I've ever witnessed. It was very strange, very unexpected. And yeah, it just added to it. It took a story that looked like, okay, maybe we have some mystery here that that's brewing uh, involving Metalo. And maybe he was the one that is somehow responsible for for killing Batman's parents, maybe. And then suddenly we go from that mystery to this crazy thing where there's a future Superman coming to stop them from something crazy that's going to happen. And yeah, there's just a lot being thrown at us. And yeah, it's just it's just enough to make you go, what? And interest you in, in where this is all going and why it's all happening. And just when you think things can't get any worse, we're at the end of this issue. We see uh, President Lex Luthor about to go ahead and make an announcement. And long story short, it's a a long ass speech, but here's what ends up happening. Lex Luthor essentially tells the world, hey, we've got this giant kryptonite meteor heading towards us and it's going to kill everybody. And what we think is that Superman and his accomplice Batman are somehow responsible from for bringing this kryptonite meteor on the collision course with Earth, because, you know, Krypton, Kryptonians, Superman. And when that happens, we're all going to die. So we need to go ahead and figure out what the heck is happening here. And the only way to do that is to bring in Superman and Batman. So what he does is he places, what is it? I think it's a $1 billion reward for the individual or individuals who bring Superman to the federal authorities here in Washington. So he can face the charges of crimes against humanity. So, you know, let you know, what's the what's the old saying? Never let a good crisis go to waste. He's able to take something which is absolutely ridiculous, twist the narrative and basically say, oh, yeah, this has nothing to do with my old gripe with Superman. Somehow this is all Superman's fault. So if you can bring in Superman, I'll give you a billion bucks. Is that taxpayer money or is that Luther's personal money? That's what I want to know. I wonder if Luther takes a salary as president. Probably not. Probably not. Probably a good PR move not to. And he's a billionaire. So no, no need to. Trump yeah. style. Yeah, basically. So that's that's where we're at. Uh, end of issue two. Mark, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are, yeah, just that this is um, it's it's kind of two. It feels like two stories merge into one in a good way. It's it feels like a very a small story in one aspect where it's it's just we kind of see Batman and Superman working together, uh, really understanding their relationship, the personalities, how they interact with each other. And in the meantime, there's this other crazy story going on and that we're not even really sure how it all relates to each other with the asteroid, with this future Superman. And there's just enough going on to really, really interest you to to see where it's going. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at this far in. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know that McGinnis is not probably your favorite artist, but if we're going to see a Superman fight, I mean, this is, this is one of my, one of my favorites to see old man and young man, Superman just go into a complete slug fest. It, it looks like something out of like fast and furious. I love it. it. It does grow on me throughout this series. It's not, you know, he's not my kind of artist overall, but it does, it does feel like it fits more and more and more the style of this story as I get further into it. Yeah. So now we're on to issue three. Superman, Batman have agreed. They're just going to make it easy. They're going to go ahead and go to the White House and basically tell their side of the story because, you know, Luther's president. They can't just go and beat him up and, you know, toss him in jail like they used to. They have to actually make sure that they're not doing anything else that can make them, you know, even even 
you know, more dangerous fugitives, so to speak. So, you know, Batman's in the Batwing, Superman is flying, and he's like, okay, we're going to go ahead and land and get this taken care of. Next thing you know, both the Batwing and Superman are attacked by a sonic scream. Who else could that be? That is uh, the Silver Banshee, and she is... In that in that full page spread, I will say this: Frank if Cho. I was hosting, if I was hosting this episode right now, I, I, this is where I would say, Ramzo, what can you tell me about the Silver Banshee? The Silver Banshee is a Celtic witch from the 1830s who was cursed to walk the earth for the rest of her life, and eventually she joined the Legion of Doom and turned to a life of pure villainy. All right, thank you very much. Yeah, and what she can do is she can uh, when so her sonic scream isn't like Banshee from uh, the X Men. Her sonic scream can actually turn people old. So if if she hits you with her sonic scream, it can actually literally like turn you into a skeleton or dust. So her sonic scream packs more of a punch. It's usually not enough to really harm Superman, but for Batman in this case, I mean, it's completely destroying uh, you know the Batwing. He's freaking out. He can actually die from this. And, and what I will say, what I love about the full page spreads, McGinnis does the Frank Cho. Uh, line of logic if i'm gonna bring in a woman even if she's not the hottest i'm gonna make her look freaking good and i'm gonna give her a full page spread so tip of the hat to ed mcginnis via frank cho for that um anyway uh there there's a there's an interview between lois lane and lex luther that's going on at the same time as the fight but it's not as important i want to focus on the fight itself because what we see is that silver banshee who's kind of a b-listed character is just completely you know beating the shit out of both of them superman grabs her and he realizes the only way to make her stop is to go ahead and fly as high into earth's atmosphere as possible so that way he cuts off the oxygen to her brain and is able to go ahead and make her pass out meanwhile the bat wings absolutely destroyed batman lands in front of the white house and who is he greeted by mr freeze captain cold icicle and killer frost criminals who have a cold yeah. Team called things. And he's like criminals who Team essentially. Chill. Yeah. Criminals who essentially have the same modus operandi. Sub zero thermal uh, thermals as weapons. And uh, he's just looking around. He's like, you know, these guys might be kind of the same, but they're not like villains that would come together. So he's a little bit confused as to how all these villains have come together right now to attack both of them. I mean, this seems a little bit coordinated. So Superman uh, lands with that cold theme. I mean, that doesn't just happen randomly. Nope. Uh, Superman lands back. He's knocked out Banshee. Uh, Batman and Superman have both laid waste to the to the Sub-Zero gang or whatever they want to call themselves. All the ice people. And uh, as soon as they're like, OK, like maybe we're out of the uh, out of harm's way right now they look over and they see this billowing uh fog that uh, illuminates two other villains what we see is superman's arch rival mongrel and solomon grundy and they are just completely like uh mongrel just blasts superman knocking him miles away with some type of thermal blast. Meanwhile, Batman is dealing with Grundy and what he notices is that Grundy doesn't sound like himself. I mean, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. Grundy only says the same thing over and over again. Solomon Grundy born on a Monday, uh, married on a Tuesday. He's doing these weird limerick type things too. Yeah. Like uh, sick on a Wednesday, dead on a Thursday, buried on a Friday. Uh, he's just he's just talking kind of normal 
issue. Yeah. So it, um, mongrels, I'm sorry. So not, not Mon- Mongol. I always get mongrel and Mongol mixed up. So Mongol is dealing with Superman uh, as Batman's fighting Solomon Grundy. He notices that his speech is different. He's suddenly smart. He's like, you serve no purpose in this conflict. A tick attached to the lost dog with a reward on his head. At this point, he's like, huh, this is uh, this is a little bit odd. And what he also notices, uh, you know, keeping an eye on Superman fighting Mongol is that Mongol, who's this proud gladiator who's always talking, he's not saying anything. In fact, he says Mongol is a known megalomaniac. His boasting is as much part of him as his fist. So Batman is starting to realize something's going on with these people. So the the fight continues. Batman is down. Superman is down. They're both about to get absolutely killed. And right before this, Superman goes ahead and uh, he's able to catch one of Mongol's fists. Batman always has some type of gadget. What he does is he he pulls out his utility belt and he gasses Grundy in the face. He does some crazy jujitsu pressure point moves and he takes him down. And just as he thinks that he's finally done with this, that Superman might finally be up on his fight with Mongol where finally he's throwing punches. Uh, Batman turns around and he gets kicked in the freaking shin and he sees Lady Shiva, the most dangerous woman in the DC universe. At this point, he's just like, crap, this, this can't get any worse. Luckily, um, Uh, uh, Superman is able to knock out Mongol. Meanwhile, Batman is just completely, you know, dodging kicks and fists. You get to see this awesome fast panel where you see like Shiva's placements like 20 times. It's really cool. And uh, at this point, Shiva's not even talking. Batman's like, what's with none of these people? All they like to do is talk shit. It's like they're the physical versions of themselves, but don't have any of the personalities of themselves. Yeah, and it gets it gets even crazier. So what we see is uh, Batman's able to knock out Shiva. Uh, Superman's able to take care of Mongol. And as soon as they think they can catch another breath, what ends up happening? They go ahead and they get dragged down by the villain Shade. And Shade is talking just like Grundy was. Shade uh, looks at them and she's like, interesting. Even the lesser antagonists have some value with their powers uh, when they're put to use. They even do the same style of word balloon with that like purple, uh, purple word balloon. So to show you that it is like almost the same voice coming out of these different characters. Yeah. Uh, right as they, uh, you know, realize, okay, somebody's controlling these people. They go ahead and they see Gorilla Grodd. Uh, Gorilla Grodd is a, is a flash villain who has mind control power. So basically all the villains were brought to DC to be used as pawns to fight Superman and Batman by Gorilla Grodd. So Grodd could get the $1 billion bounty. Uh, Superman detects them. He gets a grappling hook, uh, Grodd is standing on top of the Washington Monument. He gets a grappling hook, uh, shoots it around Grodd's neck, brings him down. And as he's falling, Superman punches him midair. So Grodd is down. The mind control over all of the other villains is over. And finally, they think, OK, we can catch our breath each time they think that things get remarkably worse, because next thing you know, now all the villains are back to being themselves and they're surrounded by Cheetah, by uh, King Shark, by Black Manta in there. I see Black Manta. I see um, Giganta. Basically, you name a DC villain. They're all here. They even brought Weather Wizard, who's stupid. And, uh, you know, since 
you know, since they're all in control of themselves now, they can all act independently, unlike the others where because Grodd was managing all of them, they had some weakness. But at the same time, it's like, you know, all of them are are going to randomly fight. So this is this is a knockout all out grudge match between Superman, Batman and all of these villains. I absolutely love the shred. Uh, I mean, love the spread there. And that's when as after they managed to somehow beat all of them within a couple of panels, um, uh, Superman, Batman turn around and they see Lex Luthor's Justice League, Green Lantern, Jon Stewart, Black Lightning, Katana, Captain Adam, Starfire, Major Force and Power Girl. And that is the end of that issue. If you ever wanted a comic where all you see is ass kicking left and right, this this issue really delivered that. It did, yeah. I mean, just to see all these different villains and then heroes come at them is just like, what? I mean, it's enough that they had to deal with all these mind-controlled villains, and then the worst thing they apparently could have done was take out Gorilla Grodd, because now you get all these villains ready to act on their own, and then just when you think that's gotten as crazy as it can, you see this squad of kind of heroes, mostly heroes, but villains-esque in this point, because they are working for Luther, who we all know is, of course, a villain, ultimately. Yeah. So o- over on to issue three. Uh, the the giant kryptonite meteor, which four, they're right? yeah, issue four. issue four, yeah, this is okay. four. My bad. Uh, the giant kryptonite meteor, which they have labeled Asteroid X, is seventy two hours away from impact with the Earth. At this point, uh, Superman, Batman, you can just tell by their uh, you know dialogue balloons and everything else. They're they're freaking out because the Justice League is here basically to arrest them. Uh, they've just gone through all these villains and they're trying to discuss a plan with each other. And uh, Captain Adam steps out and he's like, Superman, I have a federal warrant for your arrest. Batman, if you seek to prevent this in any way, you will be arrested for a bite for aiding and, ab- and abetting a fugitive. I'm going to ask you one last time to stand down. And you see Major Force. He's like, I, th- I don't think they're giving up. And Black Lightning is like, shut up. Um, this is a contentious team. Major Force is a killer. He's not a good guy. So for him to be on this Justice League is a. Uh, shows that you know this is really this is really luther's ideal version of it where where supervillains and superheroes who have kind of like the best power set available for the time are able to come together and uh, be as lethal as possible and at this point you know superman and batman they're just like you know the only way through this obstacle is to go directly through it you see a full two-page spread of Superman and Batman just absolutely kicking ass. If you ever wanted to know if Superman, Batman could take down uh, some of the strongest members of the Justice League, you see it. Uh, he is able to laser Captain Adam. He's able to punch his own cousin, Power Girl. Uh, Batman is, you know, taking out Katana and Black Lightning with his gadgets. It's it's pretty it's it's pretty awesome. You got to see it to really understand it. And uh, you know, at this point, it's just. Uh, an all-out drag. There's a lot of dialogue in here, which I really recommend you go read. And I'm sorry, by dialogue, I mean the thought balloons, because you get to see the differences between what Superman is thinking at the time and what Batman is thinking at the time. And you see start, you see Superman basically thinking, you know, these are my friends. These are the people I've gone to battle with. I die for these people. Meanwhile, you've got Batman who's just like, huh, I know Black Lightning. This is how I take him out. Huh, I know Major Force. This is how I take him out. So it's like right. he's, you know, Superman is thinking this is how he's bad things business. are. Ba- yeah. Or Batman is all business, whereas Superman is concerned about the people themselves that he's fighting. Uh, while Batman is just doing his, you know, his calculations of how he can, de- you know, defeat each one individually. 
Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of those moments where you really get to see that separation very clear when they have to fight their own friends. Uh, the fight continues, but Superman grabs Power Girl. And Mar- Mark, do you know anything about Power Girl? She so this is the she's the old Wonder Woman or something like that. Not Wonder Woman. So, I mean, sorry. I mean, Supergirl. Yeah, right? she she's something the like older Supergirl. So she's Kara Zor-El from Earth One. Uh, she is. Instead of becoming Supergirl, she becomes Power Girl, and she is the lone survivor from Earth-1 as a result of the 1980s Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right, so the first Supergirl died in that event, and then this was a different version of Supergirl that became Power Girl instead, until we actually get another version of Supergirl in the part of the series that we're not going to get to, but I read. (laughs) Exactly. So he knows that if he can reason with anybody, it's going to be his own flesh and blood Power Girl. So Superman flies off with her. Uh, The rest of the Justice League is completely, you know, just completely fucked up. They're looking around. They're like, where are they? Batman's also disappeared. And uh, that that's basically the the fight at that point. Superman's a power girl. They're going to go ahead and have a chat. And Batman's completely disappeared. Meanwhile, um, back at the White House, they're in a secret underground compartment. We see Lex Luthor and Amanda Waller from the Suicide Squad. And, uh, you know, think about Lex Luthor. Lex is always really, um, you know, focused on his strength. He's always wanted to be this Adonis like Renaissance figure. But, you know, it's not just Ed McGuinness's art that makes him look so big. He's got a little secret. And the reason why this Lex Luthor is so bulky is because he's got a kryptonite serum mixed with like steroids and all this other stuff that he's been injecting himself with and venom and venom. So, I mean, he's just, he's just juicing. I mean, this is a Lex Luthor that has no chill. You think that with, um, uh, that with, uh, you know, the power of the presidency, that would be enough for him, but he's always going even further. And if this cocktail mix that he's thrown into the serum, he's, he's going crazy. And Amanda Waller even knows it. He's like, you know what she, she's like, what, what's going on? And basically what Lex Luthor wants to happen is he wants, um, he wants the asteroid to hit the earth and he wants to do it because he wants to restart society. So he has set up this whole situation. He's the one who found the kryptonite meteor out in space. He got a boom tube to go ahead and uh, move its direction so it could be in collision with Earth. So that way he can not only take out Superman, but he could also kill like two thirds of the world population. So then he can go ahead and create his own civilization. So if anyone was ever curious, huh, maybe Luther has good intentions. No, no, not so much. And to really kind of seal it in, he grabs Waller and gives her a hashtag me too kiss on the face. Yeah, that part was like, what? Yeah, he's uh, he's kind of losing it. So he's also, you know, he's he's evil, but now he's going crazy because that kryptonite venom steroid cocktail mix that he's been juicing on. It's it's driving him absolutely insane. So um, now we kind of go on to the next part. We see uh, Katana and Superman. Uh, I'm sorry. We see Katana and Batman. Somehow Batman was able to, you know, grab Katana, speak reason to her. Now they're on the same side. And what they're doing is they're looking for, for a a boy. We don't know who this boy is, but this boy has some technology that they're going to use to go ahead and take down the meteor. Meanwhile, Superman power girl fly down and uh, you know, he, Superman was able to speak reason to her. They're all basically like, you know what? 
screw Luther. We, we got to fix this. So now you've got Katana and Power Girl on the same side as Superman and Batman. Uh, meanwhile, um, you know, they're in Tokyo. They were somehow able to be traced by uh, Lex Luthor's Justice League. We see them come in at this point. Uh, Captain Adam is like Katana Power Girl. Step aside, and we'll take it. Uh, we'll take that into consideration after your arrest. So Power Girl, as badass as she is, she punches Captain Adam into a building, and she's like, "Arrest this!" And uh, you know, we see another fight. Which what, what I love about this is the action almost never stops in this series. I mean, this is just all out fist flying, kicks to the face, absolute awesomeness and major force i i had never really read anything with him outside of the series we get, really get to see uh, a bunch of his powers in play and what we see is that um the stronger he is able to get the more he's going to go ahead and possibly implode and kill everyone so at this point batman is able to find captain adam who's still trying to you know recoup from getting punched in the face by power girl and batman's like captain you have a dilemma if we surrender to you you'll you'll have fulfilled your mission and tokyo will be decimated men and women and children will have died while you while you completed your errand and at this point, Captain Adam's like, I'm under orders to bring you and Superman in by any means necessary. To which Batman's like, in times of war, circumstances dictate actions. You know this better than anyone. Tokyo has one chance of survival. You decide now. So basically, Major Force is trying to keep in Superman inside this giant radiation field. And at this point, he just wants blood. Um What ends up happening is Major Force is getting so wrapped up in this he's basically going to go ahead and uh you know kill the city but what ends up happening is uh in order to fight him what captain adam has to do because he has the same powers as major force is he's trying to absorb all the radiation so major force just starts exploding captain adam is taking all of it in to save tokyo and he dies uh, there's a giant crater in the middle of the square, and what we see is that his uh, radioactive protection suit is basically deflated. So Major Force and Captain Adam have died as a result of this. Uh, you know, I know that not many people have a strong emotional attachment to Captain Adam, but to see him and Major Force both die like this, it's kind of like, oh shit! Now the stakes are really high. This is part of what I just why I just kind of kept thinking this was some kind of Elseworlds tale the whole time because you know we had Lex Luthor this crazy president that I didn't know ever happened and then we had this asteroid coming in we get the Supergirl stuff later that we're not going to get into on this episode uh, we see Captain Adam dying like all this stuff happened that made me think this can't possibly be in the regular DCU continuity but I guess it was yeah and to make things even crazier um, after that we we pan over to the Justice Society and basically what they've been uh, task to do is, you know, they have to fill in for the Justice League because now several of them are dead and the others have seen the true nature of what's going on with Luther drafting villains and all this other stuff. So Luther's Justice League basically teams up with um, Superman, Batman. So now they have to call on the JSA. So the JSA recruits Captain Marvel, Shazam and Hawkman to go ahead and take out Batman and Superman. So what they do now is Batman, Superman, the others, they're going to this um, 
uh, uh, mountain. It looks like Mount Fuji, where they're trying to get in touch with the kid. We still don't know who the kid is yet. Uh, meanwhile, they get there, and what ends up happening? We see Hawkman and Shazam come down, and you know they're trying to arrest them now. And uh, you know Shazam punches Superman when Superman's not expecting it. And he's like, it doesn't take the wisdom of Solomon to know you should stay down. I've beaten you in the past. And I'll do if, if I have to do it again, but I don't want to. So they're trying to give him, you know, a, a way out still because Shazam and Hawkman and the rest of the JSA think that, you know, they are actually criminals. But what ends up happening is just another fight. This goes on for a few more pages. The action is great, but not really worth spending too much detail on. All you need to know is this. Um, it looks like Batman has beat uh, somehow Shazam in some way and they switched and somehow Superman has beat Hawkman and they're still trying to talk reason to them. So we don't really know where this whole battle is going. Uh, meanwhile, um, you know, we 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 somehow flash forward. We see Shazam holding Batman and then we see Hawkman standing over Superman. So we're like, wait a second. When did when did things switch? We thought the others were winning for a second. Now it looks like they've done it. Meanwhile, Hawkman calls into Mr. Terrific over at the JSA and he's like, you sent us to do a job, Mr. Terrific. Mission accomplished. So for all intents and purposes, Superman and Batman are down and they're being arrested. And that is the end of this issue. Mark, what are your thoughts? That was that was kind of a fast one, but it was all it was all punches. Yeah, it was confusing how because the last thing we had seen was, I guess, Superman pulling up Hawkman and then he gets nailed by what is that crazy um, that what does Hawkman wear there? Uh, that's yeah. that's the nth metal. So the nth metal is this oh, metal okay. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's magic based. So magic based uh, so weapons can harm Superman. I know what happened here. I mean, they don't really show it, but they explain it because they did that thing where they called it castling. Mm-hmm. It's where, um, you know, Batman and Superman were talking about castling. It's like a move in chess where they switch. I think the rook and the, I don't know. They sw- did did a, did a move where they switch. And then Hawkman actually says, did you guys really think you invented castling? So then they switch and then he takes out Superman. And then, yeah, they don't really show it, but they kind of reference that they have some maneuver where they switch who they're fighting. And then that's what lets them win. So they don't show how that happens, but they tell you that some they kind of have some switcheroo maneuver that they pull, and that's what enables them to to to, uh, to take them out. Basically, so if you're confused, we're confused, but you're meant to be confused. Okay, so now we're on to the next issue. We see the White House and this giant red streak flying straight towards it. We're thinking, huh? That red streak is it probably Superman? Kind of, sorta. Uh, we see a bunch of Luther's giant uh, armored up. Secret Service detail, which looked like something out of Metroid, running towards the the area of the White House that's been penetrated. And is it Superman? No, it's the next best thing. It's Crypto, who looks mad as hell. And he blasts the Secret Service agents with this giant eye laser. Mark, I don't know about you, but this feels like Crypto if he was done by Zack Snyder. <laughs> yeah, that that's yeah, that's that's probably pretty accurate. I, I'm still waiting to see a good crypto in uh, in the movies or, or TV somewhere. They might have done one somewhere in the WB shows. I'm not sure, but uh, you could I'm see him in Titans on HBO Max. 
Okay. So I don't know if I'm going to go that far to watch it. It's we'll it's not worth it. This is the best you'll see from crypto, and it's just downhill in terms of the next 10, 15 years of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but, that's pretty sweet, though. Yeah, but anyway, crypto has taken out most of the Secret Service agents. Meanwhile, you see Superman Batman's B-team, which consists of uh, Steel, the female version, Superboy, someone named S-Girl. Ask me who S-Girl is. I don't know. So that's who S-Girl is. And uh, Superman, uh you know, they, they go through the front entrance. So crypto was the distraction. And now we've got the B team in. And essentially what we can gather is that they're there to stop Lex Luthor. Uh, meanwhile, you've got Huntress and Tim Drake Batman on the uh, top of the building, taking out the agents on top. And then you see Batgirl jump in as well. And they're they're basically another squad. So basically, this is kind of like a military operation. You got the distraction, you've got the front assault, then you have everyone else being taken out on the top and back of the White House. Uh, and it's all being led by Nightwing. So at this point, everyone meets up, they get to the Oval Office, and what we see is Lex Luthor just sitting in his chair as if he's expected all of this to happen. And he looks at them as lightning strikes behind him, looking all scary, and he's like, I'm afraid you've made a costly mistake, Nightwing. Despite our press statements, to the contrary, we only announced the capture in hope that they'd show up as you all did. Now tell me, where are Batman, where are Superman and Batman? And apparently, um, you know, this whole operation was to save Superman and Batman based off what happened in the last issue. But from what Luther just said, this doesn't really make sense because he doesn't even have them. So he's as confused as the reader is. Uh, meanwhile, we see Steel, Supergirl, and Superboy. They get trapped in this giant contraption thing. I can't even describe it. It's like a cage that is capable of withholding, um, you know, everybody. Uh, you've got Superboy and Supergirl and who S-Girl. Is this Supergirl? I don't even know. This, this is, is this is S-Girl. She's not okay, called that's... Supergirl. It's stupid. But uh, th- this is actually kind of funny. Um, what ends up happening is that giant metal contraption that falls on top of them and from the sides and stuff, it's crushing them. So S-Girl is like, is it my imagination or is this thing getting smaller in here? Meanwhile, uh, Superboy, who's a clone of... Lex Luthor and Clark Kent's combined DNA. He's like, Luthor's going to squish us to death. And then the, the font gets a little bit smaller. And he's like, why couldn't this be with Power Girl? And this girl's like, what'd you say? And Superboy's like, nothing. It's just that that's a funny line. Everyone knows why we like Power Girl. <laughs> I think it's safe to say. Yeah, I think it's safe to say why he'd rather be in there with. Her. I mean, I think he's OK either way. It's not like she's a, a schlub here. No, no. You well, know, who, what is S girl? I need I need I need a Remzo. What can you tell me about S girl? I know nothing about S girl. OK, maybe we should keep it that way. Then. Yeah, she I, she doesn't matter now. She didn't even matter then. But, you know, she's here. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. What, what ends up happening is that uh, Luther is basically going to fight everybody. Which he does. He uh, he knocks out Batgirl. He knocks out Huntress. He's able to counter one of Nightwing's attacks and land his own punch. He's basically beating the shit out of everyone, which he can do because of that kryptonite venom steroid cocktail we saw earlier. So he's super jacked, super fast and super, super ridiculously strong. And uh, it's one of those things you don't often see. Lex Luthor is not known for his fighting ability. So for him to take down all these professional heroes and fighters, it's it's a whole other thing. Uh, Meanwhile, what ends up happening is that uh, 
were were taken elsewhere. Where is elsewhere? We don't know. Else when it actually says in the yeah the caption. Yeah, else when. Uh, we see Captain Adam, who we thought is dead. He pops over, and what we see is Metron's chair. Metron is a uh, he's a guy with a chair. Yeah, he's a guy with a chair. He could basically travel through all space and time. He's kind of like their watcher to he's a degree. A, a new god as well, isn't he? Is he not a new? Yeah, god? Yeah, I think he's a new god. I think he was the first new god. But anyway, we see this guy talking on a. We, we see somebody sitting in Metron's chair and as Captain Adam is walking behind him, he's like, I failed Metron. Maybe you can't change destiny. Tell Darkseid he and then Captain Adam, you know, cuts him off. He's like, I'm not Metron. And then as he steps in front of the chair, he sees it's the old man Superman we saw at the beginning of the story. He's like, Superman. But how? When? And old man Superman's like, oh, Captain Adam, strange. I thought you died of the rest. Um, and basically what's going on is this Superman is trying to basically stop Superman, young Superman from killing Lex Luthor eventually. So that, that is that where that ends. I've, I've kind of spoiled a little bit, but this conversation really doesn't matter long-term. Uh, what we do see is we're back at the white house. Steel is trying to get S girl and Superboy out of that giant, um, you know, metal contraption. And all of a sudden, she's getting assaulted by Lex Luthor's Secret Service, who looked like the dude from or chick from Metroid. We see uh, that she gets some backup. And who is it? It's Hawkman. And we're just thinking like, oh, now Hawkman is on their side. Last we checked, Hawkman was bringing Superman and Batman in. So we're a little bit confused. Uh, meanwhile, as Hawkman is using a couple of gadgets to get Superman and S-Girl out of there, um, Steel is like, hey, wh- what are you doing? Can't you hear me? Do you actually think you can open it with a lockpick? Since when does Hawkman, you know, go all Houdini? Just smash it. And she's like, Hawkman, are you even listening to me? And then we get a close up on Hawkman's face and he's like, I'm not Hawkman. So now we're thinking, what is happening? Then we get to the Oval Office as Lex Luthor has just beaten them, beaten everybody to a pulp. And he's like, man, it's good to be president. Um, we see, uh, you know, another white, uh, red blurs run around the room. And what we think is it's Captain Marvel. We see Captain Marvel standing there, but his face is all blurred out. And Lex Luthor is like Captain Marvel. I have to say, this is a surprise. Um, you wouldn't happen to know what happened to the two fugitives you were supposed to capture, right? Then, you know, quote, Captain Marvel walks over, picks him up by the neck, and then he rips off the Shazam costume to show that it's Superman. And, you know, at this point, Luther's like, what is going on? And, you know, what you can basically tell is that they were able to somehow devise a plan with Shazam and Hawkman to switch costumes in order to get access to the White House. I think that's pretty cool. I don't think that had ever been done uh, in other in any other DC story. What do you think of that strategy? No, I thought it was awesome, and it, it works particularly well. I guess it works well with both. It works particularly well with Shazam and uh, Superman because they basically have the same physique. Um, when they're in the shadow, there's no way you can really tell them apart. And then, uh, I mean, yeah, it works just as well with Batman, really, just because, you know, Batman's also muscular, and uh, when you're wearing the hawk thing, how would you know the difference? Exactly. So it all works. It really works well. Yeah. So at this point, Batman and Superman are interrogating Luther. They're like, what's the plan? How are you going to stop the asteroid? What's going to happen? And what Luther is basically saying is there's nothing. This is the plan. Once it hits, I'm going to live and everyone else is going to die. So at this point, uh, Batman and Superman are like, listen, we have to get to the kid in Japan. Who is this kid in Japan? We're going to figure out uh, in a second. Meanwhile, they drop Luther. They're like, you know, he, he's he's useless to us. There's no point. 
So as they go off to Japan to finally find this boy, uh, we see Luther. He's getting more jacked up with that kryptonite venom steroid cocktail. And then we see Luther in his classic mech suit. So now we see that President Lex is going to get his hands dirty. And in the last page of this issue, you basically see his eyes glowing. He's in that giant metal contraption. This is Lex Luthor. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy town, President Lex. And that is the end of that issue. Yeah, they've just gone. They've shown Luther go full from like, okay, he's kind of a a president with another agenda to, of course, we know he's Lex Luthor. He's got he's up to something to now he's just completely lost his mind because at the same time as he's devising this grand scheme here, he's also injecting himself uh, daily, I guess, with this weird kryptonite steroid venom cocktail. So he's he's probably not just getting sick and mentally sick from the power. He's also literally going insane from everything he's been doing to his body. Absolutely. Uh, We finally get over to Tokyo. And what we find is that the boy is no one other than Hiro Akamura. Hiro Akamura is the toy man. He's the smartest kid in the world. And what we see is that uh, Hiro was creating a device for Superman and Batman while all this other crazy stuff was happening that could go ahead and actually defeat the giant kryptonite meteor and what does it happen to be much like any other fanboy in the dc universe he has to go all out he creates a giant rocket battle mech suit that is combining superman and batman's likeness so half of it is superman and half of it is batman this thing looks like it's gonna fight godzilla i gotta say mark this is where in the story i'm looking at this even you know back when i was like 12 13 reading this and even now reading this it's like this is this is kind of stupid but I buy it. <laughs> I think that's a good way to sum it up. It's so st- it's it's stupid and awesome all at once. Like I, I it's stupid, but I really I enjoyed seeing it. But it, it kind of looks cool, even if it's dumb. Yeah. So what they're trying to figure out is who's going to actually pilot it because they, they don't both need to be in there. And at this point, Superman's like, listen, I could survive a giant blast and all this other stuff. I can fly. I can breathe out in space. I'll go ahead and do it. Um, and Batman's like, no, I can actually pilot it. You'll, you can take care of things on the ground. I'll do it. And as they're trying to decide, what we see is that Captain Adam, who we thought was dead, who popped up with old man Superman earlier, he does the whole Terminator time travel thing and he pops up and he, you know, he's about to go ahead and fight Superman and Batman. He's like, I don't have time to explain. I have to pilot the rocket or this planet gets destroyed. And Superman's just like, what, what's what's going on, man? So all of a sudden, you know, Captain Adam's back. They're fighting each other. Uh, somehow, you know, Batman just kind of stands in the corner. And as Captain Adam knocks out Superman, what they basically see is that Captain Adam was not there to fight everyone. What he was there to do is to save Superman. And what he basically says is, I don't want to fight. I disabled the Superman because I know if uh, if he pi- if he piloted it, he will die and we need him to live. So what Captain Adam does is that he pulls out the kryptonite ring that he was somehow able to grab and neutralize Superman with, and he gives it to Batman. And what they basically say is that, listen, we need Superman to live. So that means, you know, if I don't pilot it, if you don't pilot it, he's going to die. And that's going to lead to this trajectory, which is terrible, which is kind of crazy because old man Superman was trying to kill him earlier. So apparently they've had a massive change of heart. And just when we think things are even stranger, we see um, Lex Luthor out 
in the middle of Metropolis. He's at the Daily Planet, and he's just absolutely crazy now. He's looking at Perry White and Lois Lane, and he's like, I speak now to the people of the planet Earth, more important for the people and by the people. Many of you will no doubt look upon me in this armor and find it absurd. I agree. I find it absurd that an alien came to the, to this planet, defied the orders of the President of the United States to surrender himself and force me to take this bold step. So this is full megalomaniac, Lex. He is just completely losing his shit. Uh, meanwhile, what we see is that Batman has decided to pilot uh, the giant Superman Batman mech suit to basically go destroy asteroid x uh meanwhile superman is up and he's flying to metropolis and he's gonna go fight lex luther so it's just an all-out you know fight that you've seen with everything else this is not as much story driven as it is art driven um this is this is basically a classic superman versus lex luther mech fight so what we see is that inside of the of the giant uh, mech suit we see captain adam piloting it uh, i think batman's in the back uh, meanwhile, what we see is that, you know, Lex, Lex has basically lost the fight to Superman. Uh, he's out, he's fallen into, uh, um, into like the basement of a building and, oh, I was wrong. So Batman is not in, in the mech suit. It's Captain Adam in the mech suit because he could take the blast. So Superman beat up, uh, Lex. He purposely tossed him into that building. So that way Batman could have some words with him and at this point. Um, uh, Batman is now taking his time to beat the shit out of him. And what he wants to know is what Lex knew about John Corbin Metallo, because apparently Metallo was hired by Lex to go and try and kill everyone earlier. So as Batman is being the shit out of Luke, uh, Luther, he's like, what do you know about Corbin? What do you know about the murder, uh, about the murder of the Waynes? And Lex is like, pull me up and I'll tell you everything as he's holding for dear life as he's about to plummet, uh, you know, many stories down to his death. So Batman walks over. He's like, no deals. I'll save your life. You still go to jail. And Lex is like, I'd sooner see you in hell. So Lex, um, you know, he, he lets go. Superman's trying to get there as fast as possible, but he's not fast enough and we can't find where Luther is. So for the most part, we think that Luther is dead. No one can find the body. Meanwhile, um, you know, Captain Adam has completely been, you know, destroyed we don't know where he is we think the mech suit collided with the meteor other than that um that's that's basically the story what we find is that uh, president luther is presumed dead that uh superman is cleared of all charges and the asteroid disaster is averted meanwhile we're down deep in in the rummage of parts of metropolis and what we see is that lex luther president lex luther is still alive and he's looking more deranged than ever before and as he pops up his eyes are glowing still he's still wearing part of the mech suit and he's like you know what there will be a reckoning a crisis and that is where the story ends so maybe this makes a little more sense to me now. If this was actually taking place right before Infinite Crisis, then maybe they had license to just go a little wild and crazy with things because they knew that a continuity reset of sorts was coming. I think so. Yeah, that makes yeah. that makes some sense. Yeah, this was a this is interesting. 
I'll put it that way. This is an interesting story. I didn't, like I said, the whole time I was trying to figure out like, did this, is this really in the continuity? And I guess the answer is yes, but not for long <laughs> since continuity kind of changes not long after this. Yeah. So I'll just go ahead and give my rating uh, first for this one. Uh, the artwork, I'm a, I'm a big Ed McGinnis fan. I love how he, uh, how he does fight scenes. I feel like whenever somebody gets paired with him, the story gets a little bit drowned out to make room for more epic artwork. Uh, I'm going to give him a four out of five on that because I think the artwork here is absolutely phenomenal, but not perfect because it does drown out the story. And at times it can be a little bit confusing to see where he's, uh, going with the flow of things. He's not that great with layouts. So I'll say in terms of his renditions of fights, of characters, different versions of characters, he's really good. But the layouts can often be a little bit confusing. And then for the story, um, you know, I don't think this is Loeb's finest, but I think it's a good direct story uh, in terms of the stakes for everything. I think his dialogue and his thought balloons between Batman and Superman is some of the best I've ever seen. But it's uh, it's otherwise pretty generic. But at the same time, I think it shows the best parts of Superman and the best parts of Batman. I'm going to give it a three um, because, you know, it's a good it's a good popcorn, you know, eaten story that you could see when you if you want to watch the movie Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. So I'm going to give it a total score of a seven out of ten. It's modest. It's good. You're not getting anything, you know, real thought provoking out of it. It's just a lot of ass kicking and a lot of Batman and Superman. Yeah, we're actually not terribly far off here. Uh, I'm like I said, I'm not as big a fan of this artwork. Um, as you are. And it's really just, I don't know, the, the style just is not the kind of style that I like to see in comics. It's, I guess, I it's what you would call, or what I would call, anyway, just kind of cartoony. Obviously, this is all cartoony in a sense. This is all comic books. Uh, but it, it, and maybe that's because, maybe it's supposed to be because this is also, this was also an animated movie as well. Um, but it just felt a little more like what I would see in like a children's cartoon than what I want to see from, uh, you know, a serious, quote unquote, serious comic book. Uh, that being said, the art did grow on me as I went along. So while I started off not loving it, uh, I did it did kind of grow on me as we went along and felt it felt that it fit the story, even if it's not my kind of art. The art does does feel feel like it fits the story. So I'm going to give the art. Uh, ultimately, I'm going to give the art a three point five. It is it is decent artwork. Uh, it does work for the story, even if it's not my style. I can still give it a you know a decently above average grade. And I'm going to agree with you on the story. I'm going to give the story a three. Um, it's it's good. It's like you said, it's popcorn. It's enjoyable. It's interesting. There's a lot going on. Um, it's kind of more to wrap my head around thinking of it in, in the context of continuity. Uh, I was almost able to enjoy it more when I when I didn't have to think about how does this actually work in the current continuity uh, or any continuity. But it's a it's a fun story and it really does highlight the dynamic between um, between Superman and Batman and uh, their sort of their different takes on things and how they really are a yin and yang together at the end of the day. So I, I did enjoy it. I'm going to give the story a three. The art of 3.5, 6.5 is my total. Yep, that's modest. So that this gives us a uh, a thirteen point five thirteen point five yes. out of twenty. A little on the lower end for our for our totals. Uh, I would say this probably just falls just outside of you must read this and firmly in the category of eh, if you're looking for a fun story to read give it a shot, but you're, you know, this is not, this probably shouldn't be on your do or die. You know, if you're a comic book fan, you nef- you definitely need to read this list. Yeah. I, I'll say the same thing here that I said with uh, ultimate X-Men, which is, you know, it's as a kid reading, it was one of my favorite stories. I still have a lot of, uh, you know, love towards that uh, first volume, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can give it a lower score, especially as time goes by. But you know, if you enjoy it, all that matters is that you're happy when you read it. So, if if it 
isn't necessarily the best comic ever, but still a comic that elicits a lot of good memories, a lot of those fun moments that you love. That's all that matters. So what we might give a lower score to something, but at the same time still have as much love for it as others. It's just not as great as some other stories we compare it to. And ultimately, we've got our highs, we've got our lows. This is there, and I, I still have fun reading this this series. Yeah, I would say anything that I end up rating like a six or higher, I you know, that's I guess I guess if we're talking about uh, grade school grades, that's like a D or higher. Uh, so a D or higher is passing. <laughs> so I would say anything like a six or higher is something I would say it passes. It's it's worthy of reading. You will not hate it. Uh, it's enjoyable. It's something that that you should consider a, a readable, worthy book. Um, but at that level, it's it's just not at the upper echelon of, oh, my God, you got to read this book. Let me tell you about it, why you got to read it. It's not going to be in that kind of category. So it's just that that next tier of good not great uh one one question before we wrap up do you like seeing superman batman tag team a title or do you think they're better off you know like in justice league or occasionally teaming up in some of their separate books uh i I like it because i think they are they do really play off each other really well in so many ways not just their personality uh their physical attributes the guy that's just pure brute strength and can physically do anything versus the guy that is basically at the end of the day just a human but his asset is his intelligence and his mind and their personalities play off each other really well I, i think that the interaction between batman and superman is actually what i enjoyed most about this book more so than the story or the art it's really their dialogue uh the juxtaposition of their narratives uh that that I really enjoyed. So I think that that as far as team up books go, like I, I've always been more of a Batman guy than a Superman guy. Uh, there had there have only been brief periods in my fandom where I've really regularly followed Superman books, whereas I'm pretty much always have my foot in in Batman. If I'm not reading a specific book at a time, I'm I'm looking and waiting for the Jet Batman book I should jump onto. It's a character I'm always interested in. I can't quite say the same as, as for Superman, but when they're together, I always find it uh, find it a, a hell of a duo. So yeah, I could go for a, a regular team up book from these two for sure cool cool well mark that's all i've got that's about all i've got as well and uh if you enjoy the work that we are doing here if you have already done your duty as amazing fans and left us a five-star rating and a great review on apple Podcasts, the next step the next step for your fanhood is to check out the second print comics patreon at patreon.com slash second print pod we have all sorts of content there we've got your remzo rants are making the return after this young man uh battled the coup uh we also have my wandavision recaps with our friend dan smots every week uh at least until this thing wraps up but there's more shows coming and i'm gonna keep watching them so expect more on that end and then remso i believe you have a new little series you're putting together for our patreon as well do you want to tell people about that yes a lot of you have wanted to get into movie talk and i want to have those conversations as much as you do but i have a you know a different way of trying to do it this wednesday so today as you're listening to this you can go ahead and hop over to patreon right now and you can listen to a new limited series called remso versus the mcu phase one where i look at all the films that i love but being the 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 contrary nerd that i am i take two to three points from each film where it's like you know maybe it could have been a little bit better if we had changed a couple of things so today's first episode talks about the 2008 iron man film which started the whole mcu and i discussed three points that you know could be minor or major changes that I think could have made the film a little bit more perfect. So you can catch those. We'll be doing the entire phase one for the next couple of months. And, uh, you know, feel free to yell, argue, uh, tell me how I'm ruining things and all this other stuff in the comments. 
Well, it's a good idea because I'm excited about listening to it, and it's my own darn Patreon, so I, I can't wait to hear it. I've been a big fan of the MCU films, but of course, as you, as any fan like us who has been so immersed in this material for so long, every single movie, there's going to be a few things we'll say, wow, they couldn't they have just, just done this? Could they have done this a little better? So I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, your take on that, and you can find it all behind the old paywall for as little as $5 a month, patreon.com slash secondprintpod, and we thank all of you who are out here, out here, in here, I don't know where you are, but wherever you in are in the multiverse the show. yes in the multiverse listening to the show each and every week we do see the numbers we see the downloads we see them ticking up we see the comments and uh, that's what encourages us to keep encourages us to keep going and to keep building this thing up and to keep doing this each and every week so as long as you guys keep showing up keep sharing the show keep telling friends about it keep joining our patreon we will continue to produce more and more content for you as always i'm remster w martinez and i am the marvelous miraculous mark Lane. Read comics, change the world. Change the world. Good night, America. Adios. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.